lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Hey, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yerlich. How's that new baby going? I can't remember if you asked me this last week, but I just feel like my answer is the same. <laughs> he is a newborn. He's fun, doing a little bit different stuff, but he's a newborn. I love him, but yeah. Finally smiling and making facial expressions? Sure. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. How's the sleep going? Man, you know that my wife listens to this on occasion, right? <laughs> if I'm like, oh, yeah, the sleep is good. She's like, yeah, you know why? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm up with them all night. That's a setup question. Yeah. That's what I do. How's your kid, Chris? <laughs> my kids are great, except for Remy. We, uh, I had a... <laughs> My kids are great, except for one half of them. Except for the one. No, she's been dealing with like a little bit of a cough. I took her to the doctor today, and we found out it's, it's what I assumed it was, her allergies, and then um, her asthma. So the combination of the two, her allergies are making just a bunch of stuff happen. So she's trying to cough up everything. So she'll be better. Yeah. When I heard that on Sunday, I was like, ah, oh, she's got the black lung. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I got. Gnarly <laughs> cough. <laughs> that's what I tell her. I was like, come here, black lung. Uh, but she's, she's getting better. It's, it's slowly going to get better. And hopefully with the new, um, what's that thing? Inhaler? Hopefully with the new inhaler. Yes, the inhaler. Uh, it'll, it'll help. It'll clear out all the stuff that's inside of her. So. The doctor said it was very common right now. He was like, we've got so many kids coming in here with asthma, and it's asthma and allergy season. So he said, you're probably going to be doing this till May, and then, then she'll be better. Okay. I just realized, you're asking me that question. I sounded so detached and just like, he's a child, leave it alone. No, me and him were playing this morning, you know, had him on my lap doing all the stuff. Like, yeah, he's just doing all the normal baby stuff. But I don't know. It's just, he's newborn. I feel like that's just a stage. They just lay there unless you pick him up. And they like to be picked up and then, yeah, do that thing. It's weird because with both kids, they were so different. And then we'll get into our book that we've forgotten since it seems like we've forgotten about it already. But like Remy was just so chill. She would just want to lay with me to like six months. I mean, she'll do it now today. She'll just lay down with me. But Reed just wouldn't sit still. He was always moving, squirming around. I couldn't just sit there and hold him and watch like a football game or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Remy, we watched the whole season while she was born. You know, she'd just sit there and chill, and I'm watching football. We're having a good old time. But Reed just was never like that, and he's still not like that. If I'm like, hey, Reed, come lay down with me. He's like, okay, and then he's, like, jumping, pulling my hair, clawing on my back. I think that's kind of difference between the guys and the girls kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, between Casey and this guy. But even there, like, literally no joke, when Casey was born, they put her on the table to, like, measure her out and, like, weigh her and stuff. And when she was on the scale, she just rolled her head and locked eyes with me and was looking at me from across the room. And just, she's been alert and like whatever. So the whole, I feel like there's a lot of the newborn stuff that mm-hmm. is just normal for a baby that she just didn't do. So that's why I'm <laughs> hanging out with this guy. I'm like, are you stunted? Like, what's going on here? Should I be worried about your development? Because you're just looking, you're, I'm, I'm like six inches away from you. You're looking at me cross-eyed. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways, I think Casey was looking from across the room going like, 
oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to take care of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. Let's look at Obadiah for this week. So this week, we're going to go through more of the study side of Obadiah. I've been saying throughout the season, one episode will be on the study of the book. The other episode will be on like some practical stuff. And uh, I really enjoy doing it this way more than anything else. It's just been easier to kind of spread out, I guess, material or things without trying to combine everything into one little neat package. Yeah, it's just allowing two different types of conversation. Right, yeah. exactly. And I, and I think that's needed. So we're looking at Obadiah, and we'll, we'll try to answer these questions for this episode. So we have, when was the book of Obadiah written? Who are the Edomites? And then we're going to look at the day of the Lord in the book of Obadiah. So again, this kind of thing that's popping up in all the books so far is the day of the Lord. So we'll look at it from how Obadiah wrote it and what his meaning was. Uh, but that that's really it. So Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's probably why it gets forgotten is because if your pages stick together, then you're like, all right, cool. I've got Amos on this side. And then you flip the page and you have Jonah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 no. You flip two pages. There's Obadiah in there. And I mean, Amos is a pretty big book, at least for the for the minor prophets. It's about mm-hmm. five chapters. And of course, if you go to... About nine chapters. Oh, about four. Add four to that five. <laughs> but then you're like, flip the page and you're like, Jonah, yeah, everyone wants to read Jonah. That's not a forgotten book. That's mm-hmm. that's a kid story. That's what we tell our kids. So yeah, Obadiah does get forgotten because of the page sticking thing. Yeah, Jonah, the Pinocchio of the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> Monstro came and got jo- Jonah. Oh, we'll save that for another season. <laughs> uh, so the outline though that I looked at for Obadiah, and I thought it was a pretty good one. It was uh, one through nine is judgment against Edom. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm starting to chuckle here because last night when we were texting and I was talking to Justine, Obadiah, I was like, I'm just going to call him Obi. Mm-hmm. And then I said, let's turn to Obi-1. And then I said Obadiah 1 through 9. So it came back to me. Uh, that's an awful joke. Is that even considered a joke? I think so. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it that's just me, your thoughts, yeah, Chris. It just made me laugh so much. Uh, so Obi-1 through 9 is God's or the judgment against Edom. And then we have Edom's sin is 10 through 14. And then the reversal of fates on the day of Yahweh is 15 through 21. So that's how it was broken down when I looked at it through a commentary. But I just thought this book is really interesting. So let's get into who is Obadiah. So remember when we were talking about Joel last time? And you're like, who's Joel? And I was like, well, he's Joel, son of Pethuel, right? So we don't even get that with Obadiah. <laughs> like we don't even get that much. There's no dad. There's no anything. We just start off, this is the vision of Obadiah. And even when looking at Obadiah, I think we have, what does Obadiah mean? Yeah. So we have Obadiah means servant of God. Right. So even looking there, is that, well, is this just the guy's title? Like, mm-hmm. oh, the servant of God, which is kind of common. You oh, can look at I that. Like, yeah, he yeah. could be the prophet. So like it could be a title mm-hmm. where people tend to go on the other side of like, that's probably his name is because there's other Obadiahs in the Old Testament. So it seems to be a name that, you know, was was in use, but it could be used as a title. Um, but beyond just knowing, cool, his name's Obadiah. It means servant of God. And he was a prophet. You don't get anything else as far as who he is as a person, not even his dad. <laughs> I, I really think that's a good point too, because it could just be a book from the servant of God, just and named anything else, the person's name who wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be, like you said, yeah, Obadiah, an actual person, because it's a common name used in the Old Testament. But man, it, ma- it made me think like, man, if it was just some random guy, not even named Obadiah, but he just took on the moniker servant of God, and that's all he's known for in the Bible or what he's known for around people, what a 
pretty cool moniker. So that even that alone lets us know a little bit about who Obadiah was, is that he was a servant of God. Well, it's like you've got it in the Gospel of John, right? Mm-hmm. The the most loved disciple or the loved disciple, yeah. whatever, right? And just like, well, you know, you're known as the loved one. So yeah. over here is like, yeah, if you're known as that. Either way, but I think that as we see throughout, especially Old Testament studies, is that when you look at the name and you look at the name meaning and you look at who the person is, it's like, yeah, those things tend to match up. Fun side note, I'm not sure if you know one of my middle names, uh, the Giliosa. Yeah. So that's Gaelic for servant or slave of Jesus. So we've got Obadiah over here being servant of God, and one of my names is servant of Jesus. There you go. Yeah, that's my little personal tie-in <laughs> with Obadiah. That's pretty cool. But the book in itself is like a lot, kind of the beginning parts of who, when, fall in the same category of Joel, like how we looked at it last week. And hopefully... Uh, one of the other books we get through will give us kind of the same or give us more information on when and who and all that other stuff. But Obadiah kind of falls into that same category as when. It's it's a little unclear because there are a few events that are mentioned and the stuff that, w- that was mentioned that happened in there could have happened in different time periods. So like the invasion in verse 11, on that day you stood aloft while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. So that could be in what probably one of the more common looked at things is the attack of Babylon, right? Yeah. So that's where kind of with dating, I think we might have talked about this a little bit last time, but you're trying to see like, what was the earliest possible date and what's the latest possible date? Right. So you're doing a little bit of investigatory work. Investigatory? Is that a word? Investigative? Sounds smart. You're being a super sleuth, getting in and trying to figure <laughs> out the, the details, but you try and see like, all right, is there anything mentioned that could give us any form of a date? So like you said, you're looking at that and you have that invasion and it's talking about that from the past tense. Mm-hmm. So it's like it already happened. Kind of the details that are there made it seem like maybe this happened somewhat recently. That invasion would date, I believe it would be 586 BC. Yeah. So and, what you have in your notes. That's what I have in my notes. And then there's also some verses to support it. And I think that's an important part that I want to start giving out. Is like supportive verses, not just us saying when. So there's Psalms 137, verse 7 that says, Remember, O Lord, the sons of Edom on the day Jerusalem fell. Destroy it, they shouted, tear it down from the foundations. And then you have Lamentation 4, uh, 21 that says, So rejoice and be glad, O daughters of Edom, who dwell in the land of Uz. Yet the cup will pass to you as well. You will get drunk and expose yourself. So that's very similar even to what we have written further down in in the book of Obadiah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to bring it up later, but since you're looking at this invasion kind of being talked about in other places in the Bible, I think that we've hinted at during this forgotten book series that we might even be going into some of the really forgotten books, like the Apocrypha type thing, right? Yeah. So did you come across that in First Estras? Is, I think it's in chapter four of First Esdras. It talks about during this invasion when Babylon went in and stuff, that it was actually Edom that set fire to the temple. Oh, no, I didn't get into that part yet. Yeah. So when you're looking at this even being referenced, again, not within the Protestant canon, at least, and you're looking at that, but that that was even their involvement in this. And I know that as we rip apart the book later on, you can see like, oh, yeah, maybe I could see that happening. But yeah, this point being referenced in other scriptures and other writings. Right. It's even uh, referenced in the book of Jeremiah. So we have that as well. It did go back to like Joel, right? Who's referencing who? Mm-hmm. So when I looked at it, it could be Obadiah's referencing Jeremiah or Jeremiah's referencing Obadiah if it, Obadiah was written first. But it, yeah, it could have been either or. But you have that as an earlier 
time because like okay well this has happened and it's talking about this but then when you have it talking about the fact that they then will be judged so then you're looking at well that's a future time which means that it hasn't happened yet so if you get into a little bit of historical study and you're trying to see well when did that actually take place because it had to have been before then and i think that that judgment moved into where babylon actually went into that area and wiped them out i think that, that was about 553 bc so really this one it narrows it down to about 30 years as far as what i was able to study yeah 33 years if you have 586 on one side and then 553 on the other side and you're looking at 53 years no sorry wait help me math 86 53 33 there years. it is man that newborn yeah it's not like the three coffees that i've had <laughs> in the past hour i'm seeing the numbers fall down like it's matrix in front of me <laughs> Yeah, so we, we do have a lot of reference points or things. And again, like I said, it could be this or that. But another one is uh, that it, it could be mentioning Edom's revolt in the ninth century. So when they revolted against Judah and they decided they were going to do their own thing. And that's in Second Kings. And I'll read it from here. It's 8, 20 through 22. In the days of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against the hand of Judah and appointed their own king. So right there, it's talking about that, that they rebelled. And it could be the rebellion is what caused this. That's where I read in another commentary. Either or, I would lean more towards like we were talking about earlier, that it was Babylon's evasion and during that time. And the reason why I tend to think that is it tends to be that when God sends a prophet with a message, it's to those people primarily. Now, what we see in a lot of, especially when you get into Isaiah or, you know, some of those prophets is you see different things that are kind of like peaks of prophecy that they might seem close, but they're actually stretching pretty far into the future. But for the most part, a prophet comes to speak to that generation right. for most of the message. Now, what we see again with God is like, hey, it happened here, and then it happened in a separate way again. So yeah, that's where I tend to think that overall, Obadiah is talking, and he's talking to Edom and like letting all of this know that, hey, this is coming up on you guys. Not that it couldn't happen again later, but I definitely think that most of this is relevant to the people he's talking to. And I like what it brings up to a lot of times is the patterns you see throughout the Bible. It's just that it seems like something happened, it happens again. It just seems to follow patterns of things. So we're, yeah, we like even with Joel, where we're like, well, it could have been here and it could have been there just because of the patterns of history mm -hmm. playing the same, uh, that it does kind of seem that way. But with Obadiah, yeah, like I said, I would agree with you more on the fact that it does tend to seem to be more around the Babylonian invasion and Edom. I mean, there's just a lot more that would support that. Especially when you brought up like first estrus, that it it had that written in there in that story. Yeah. Which would be fun to get into. <laughs> Will that series be the really forgotten books? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's take a break and then we'll come back and answer and look at the next two questions. Sure. Hey, it's Obi, owner and head mechanic of the Paraclete Body Shop. The body shop that helps your spirit when it ain't running right. We tackle all the issues of the spirit from simple tune-ups to a full-on spiritual restoration. Does your high position or status cause your pride to leak? We can help plug that with some good old-fashioned humility. Is a hard heart causing a cling-clang noise in your life? We'll stop on by and we'll get that heart tuned into forgiveness. What about jealousy? That can make your life overheat. We've got you covered. We specialize in making sure your spirit is in alignment with God, therefore making you holy. We are located on the corner of You Need This More Than You Think Boulevard, adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill and the Anger Emporium. So, 
When you have that gut feeling that your spirit isn't running right, stop by the Paraclete Body Shop. All right, so let's go and take a look at who are the Edomites. That's a good question. <laughs> no, it really is. And I think that, again, we mentioned... I thought it was you were going to do one of those <laughs> moments where like, that's a good question. Why don't you answer it, Chris? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, people? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we mentioned it a few times, just the importance of study and that when you move into the actually studying versus just reading and you start looking at these names and cool Edomites are like, I don't know who are the Edomites and then you get into well who are the Edomites and it's a good question because then once you can establish that you can see that man because the Edomites pop up a lot in the Old Testament and you can see that from the very beginning kind of what was established just carried on through the the entire relationship throughout history so when you look kind of what we've read a little bit or alluded to in Obadiah of, cool, Edomites seem to be against Israel. And, you know, having that, and you're like, well, who is Israel? Well, Israel was actually a guy at one point, and Mm -hmm. his name was Jacob. And Jacob had a brother, and his name was Esau. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 25 to find out about this. And Jacob and Esau, twin brothers inside of the womb. And Genesis 25 verse 22 The children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So Rebekah went to inquire of the Lord, and he declared to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Right? So even from within the womb, Jacob and Esau... We're tussling it up and, you know, and having that happen, two nations were going to come from these. So that's where you have Jacob later given the moniker Israel and then all mm-hmm. the children of Israel, nation of Israel. But then you had Esau and you get it in Genesis 36 to where all the descendants of Esau are laid out. And multiple times in Genesis 36, I mean, Genesis 36, verse one, this is the account of Esau. That is Edom. Right. And repeatedly, we're just told Edom, Esau, Esau, Edom. So it was almost like Esau was the name given, which means red mm-hmm. because he came out he was all red-headed baby yeah he was a furry ginger he was <laughs> popping out on fire <laughs> that's how it describes him <laughs> that was the first thing i thought of was a leprechaun for some reason <laughs> just a little baby a little bit like the leprechaun movie uh, the old one with yeah. jennifer aniston the scary one that's not really scary uh yeah for some reason that popped into my head <laughs> but yeah so this little furry red baby came out and then we have Jacob, who followed. Holding onto his heel, even. Right. And so Jacob's name, which is crazy, if you really look into the names of people throughout the Bible, mm-hmm. they do give like little details of what's to come. And so Jacob's name meaning heel, heel grabber. Heel grabber and deceiver, mm-hmm. which we later see Jacob was definitely a deceiver. Right. What I really liked about that, though, is uh, I never put it together, the heel grabber. I just thought because he grabbed his heel that it was, uh, you know, kind of that but then i heard someone talking about it and it made me think of mma and wrestling uh not wwe wrestling but like greco roman Mm -hmm. the real stuff that one of the easiest ways you can trip up somebody is if you reach down and go for their heel and grab it and pull it and then you trip that person up and then they're on the floor and then they're done uh so jacob's name means it meant a little bit more when you kind of see who he becomes this deceiver who's grabbing at the heel and constantly trying to trip people up Yeah, which I wasn't planning on really going through their history, but 
just the two brothers had a whole history together. Yeah, which is, I mean, you do have, I mean, we could go through it briefly, but both of them started off with the names Esau and Jacob, and both of them eventually, it seems like somewhere down the line, got changed where you have Edom, and then Jacob's, we read in, in Genesis, where his got changed to Israel, where after he struggles with God and has a wrestling match with him, it says that... Gets his hip thrown out of gets place. Gets his hip thrown out of place. And then God names him Israel, meaning he struggled with men and God and, ha- and, and overcame. I heard this, and I thought it was interesting, and then we'll get back into what we're talking about on the Bible Project. When they were talking... Again? Yeah. You're, you're really trying to get... <laughs> uh, but I, I really thought it was interesting. They were talking about Jacob, and he said in order for the, for the hip to get knocked out of place, that like when he got hit, I always thought it would be like a punch to the hip, right? But they were saying that it had to be a, a low blow, like it was a punch to the family jewels. Yeah, the nether regions. Yeah. yeah, and that would be enough force to knock the hip out of place from that angle and, and that way. Interesting. Again, this isn't in, in the Hebrew, but I think most English translations says that he was merely touched on the hip and it popped out. So, but... There's also all of those euphemisms that pop up in the Bible as well. Right. Maybe being touched on the hip means punched. <laughs> punched in the yeah. family jewels. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting little thing. I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah, they, the struggle between the two brothers of where uh, the birthright and who's going to get the blessing and all that seemed to play a key part in the own, their own family division where Jacob deceived his brother to get the birthright. He, he deceived him to get the blessing. And then was in exile. Yeah, then he bounced. So he wouldn't yeah. get killed. He was and like, then, oh, my brother's bigger. He's a warrior. He's a hunter. I should get out of here. Yeah, what did it say? He, li- he lived in the tents or he liked being with his mom inside. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the hunter was very upset. And the other guy was like, I got to go. Which then he does this whole years of battling with his uncle and who's scheming and conniving. It's like, who can out deceive who? I really thought of that reading it as like the, the constant. Where did I hear this from? You can't out hustle the hustler. Mm-hmm. And that's really what goes on in there. Uh, but they have this whole thing. But this history between the two of them just kind of seemed to start off the separation between the two nations. And when we look at it coming back to then where Obadiah is being written and you have two nations who are against each other or one that's kind of gloating over the destruction of the other one, these nations were brothers. So when you see that and eventually Jacob, Israel, comes back to Esau and is like, whoa, I'm coming home. God's leading me here. I'm going to send out all kinds of gifts. Hopefully I don't get killed. And there seems to be a little bit of reconciliation happening, right? And that's where we get that story. But then, so that's Genesis 36 and, you know, onwards. And and that's happening, or 25 and onwards. And then after Genesis, you have Exodus, right? So... Israel is down there and all of that's happening. And then Exodus is the Exodus out of Egypt. And that's where Esau, Edom, pops back up again. And we get that story in Numbers 20. So this is when Moses and all the Israelites are coming up out of Egypt. And in Numbers 20, verse 14, it says, From Kadesh, Moses sent messengers to tell the king of Edom, This is what your brother Israel says. So again, they know the history here. You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, where we lived many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers, and when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent an angel, and brought us out of Egypt. Now look, we're in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not cut through any field or vineyard or drink any water from any well. We'll stay on the king's highway. We will not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, you may not travel through our land or we will come out and confront you with the sword. 
We'll stay on the main road, the Israelites replied, and if we or our herds drink your water, we'll pay for it. There will be no problem, only let us pass through on foot. But Edom insisted, you may not pass through. And they came out to confront the Israelites with a large army and a strong hand. So Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their territory, and Israel turned away from them. So, again, looking at conflict between two brothers, and then you still have, as was prophesied by the Lord, two nations are going to come from this. And here's these two nations at it again. And they're constantly this back and forth. And then you even see it as the history kind of furthers down once the children of Israel are in the land. Then you have Saul who struggles with against the Edomites. Mm-hmm. And that's you can find that if anyone wants to look it up in 1 Samuel 14. But then you have David and Solomon who then conquer the Edomites. And that's in 2 Samuel 8, 14. Well, I think like David conquered. And then under Solomon, I think they kind of came out from that again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they created issues for Solomon. Yeah, so David exactly. conquered. Solomon had some time of rule, but then they created issues for that. And then we read it earlier where they eventually then just rebelled completely against Israel and became their own nation. Yeah. So separate. I think this is where we see in the Psalms that Edom is just kind of referred to as like an eternal enemy against mm-hmm. the Israelites. And it's crazy. Again, you see it comes back from Genesis, these two brothers and just everything that comes from that. Yeah. Even to where I I think we talked about this during the villain season where Herod was an Edomite. Mm, yeah, that does sound vaguely familiar. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. Go back and listen to that episode on the Herods, where you have the Herods and their Edomites. Uh, one of them kills babies in an attempt to kill Jesus. One beheads John the Baptist, and one kills James, the brother of John. So, like, again, all those separations of one side versus the other. Right. And you see that there, kind of once you get into Jesus's time, Edom is then in the Greek called Edomia. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in Mark 3 verse 8 for example talks about idumea being you know part of the region there so yeah it continues yeah and that's where we find out who the edomites are and it really is a fascinating history and a tale of this continual battle that started in genesis that worked its way through the pages of the bible not a constant thing where you're kind of seeing it in almost every book but you see it sparking up here you see it spark up there and then where we get to this final stage of where we're looking at Obadiah, and Obadiah is saying, we were invaded and conquered by the Babylonians, and you guys just stood there and laughed and, and just kind of let it be. Yeah, and there's a progression there, but can we kind of move into the next spot? I feel like that was a, yeah. some pretty good history there on Edom. That was, that was a meaty. But look in there, so we don't know much about Obadiah. Even if it's like, is it his real name? <laughs> if that is your real name. Um, but what we do get in verse 1, we don't say chapter one, verse one, right? Because there's only one chapter. It's just Obadiah one. Obi one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what the Lord God says about Edom. And when we see Edom, we just gave the history of like the Edomites. But what we get here in this description, I'm going to make you small amongst the nations. Uh, the pride of your heart has deceived you, O dwellers in the clefts of the rocks, whose habitation is the heights. So even that description is talking about the land of Edom which was what, southeast mm-hmm. of uh, Jerusalem, Judah? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but what was cool when I was um, studying into that is, so you have what would be the Jordan and Dead Sea at the south of the Jordan, and then up into the hills to the east of that, it kind of went up into this rock face. And just so that it's a common picture that people might be familiar with, but Indiana Jones, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. 
that was filmed there. Oh. So when they're going through that narrow passageway and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this Edom, uh, the capital city, there was Sela, which in Greek is Petra. So the city of Petra, it's up in the rocks. And that's where even all of the temples and the buildings and everything is carved into the rocks there. And so it was a really fortified place, which is what gave them this pride even that as a nation, they were up in the rocks. And if you were to come through those narrow passageways, super easy to defend because you have to go single file line and like it doesn't take many people to defend to have that. And they're up in the rocks. And that's where it says, yeah, you dwellers in the clefts of the rocks, habitation in the heights, who's saying your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? So they were just like, man, we're doing great up here. But just the, for people to be able to picture it, it's that Indiana Jones uh, kind of up there in, in those in that rocky place. That was kind of like their uh, their bragging rights. Mm-hmm. It's like we're up here, we're protected, and like you're saying, it doesn't take a lot of men to like protect that area. So it's like who's gonna come against the Edomites? And that's where we get into this Day of the Lord then with situation and even what God's judgment is to Edom is that. Look, the Edomites, they viewed the suffering of the people of Judah as an opportunity for gain. Uh, They gloated over the destruction of Judah, and they participated in its downfall. And God's saying, you may think you're protected there from the attacks of the people, but I'm now proclaiming judgment that even you being protected there or thinking you're protected there isn't enough to protect you from what's coming and what I have uh, for you guys for what you've done. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not enough to protect you. So when you're seeing just that that pride and that gloating, I, I think that you said, mm-hmm. um, I think that God right off the bat um, in the first couple of verses, yeah, verse two, behold, I'll make you small among the nations. You'll be deeply despised. Kind of hitting that pride, that gloating, because making small amongst the nations, if you look at the surrounding nations, the other nations weren't very numerous. Mm-hmm. You had like Moab and Judah and Israel. Like there, It's not like, oh man, those were huge. It was more like, I'm going to make you less special. Like, I'm going to shrink you down to size, so to speak. And it was more of a, it was more to do with like importance. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And that's where in verse three, who can bring me down to the ground, though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there, I will bring you down. So are you saying how you were saying, uh, like my judgment is going to come to you? It's almost like that. You think you're so high, but you forgot to look up. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's where your judgment is yeah. coming from. Like you're looking forward and you think that you have it, it have it made here. But like you forgot to look up and remember like, I am the Lord. That, that's such a really good way to look at it too. Because I think when we're, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit here, but like when we get prideful, mm-hmm. it's almost like we do forget to look up. Because we think we're on, we're on yeah, the top. Yeah, we're on top. I'm on the top of the mountain. There's nothing bigger or better than me and they literally were on on top of the mountain (laughs) yeah Yeah. but god coming in and saying you know what you've the history and the history and all the stuff you've done here's judgment coming your way and and obadiah again a prophet prophesying and saying this is going to come come your way yeah and you kind of gave that progression as, as well as kind of their involvement in it and i saw that when i was studying in verse 11 it says on the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off as well So it's kind of like, all right, well, they were bystanders, right? They didn't get involved. But then it goes on to say that they went in through the gate and took part in the thing themselves. So they went from being bystanders to then being active in it. Like they're gloating about it. Then they went to go be active in it. And then it went on even to say that then they were looting, right? So then Mm -hmm. they went in and they were gloating over it. And then they started looting as well. But then what makes it even crazier is verse 14 
It says, nor should you stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives, nor deliver up their survivors. They went so far as to then when people were trying to escape, the Edomites were capturing them and bringing them back to Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you went from a bystander to then going inside and gloating about it, to then taking part with the destruction. And if you were to take first Estras, lighting fire to the temple, right? And then you get involved in the looting yourself. And then when people are trying to escape, you're stopping them from escaping. Like, that's a bad progression. I wonder if this goes back to Jacob and Esau, right? The history that they had together where Jacob received the blessing over Esau to the point where Esau was crying to Israel, bless me, bless me too. And Isaac's like, I only got one blessing. I could bless you, but it's not going to be that blessing. Mm. And then it was like not even a favorable one. It like didn't <laughs> yeah. even sound good at all. And although maybe Jacob and Esau had squashed their issues, that maybe their descendants hearing that story of that, well, everything that Israel has had should have been ours. Shouldn't have been the Israelites having all this land and all this, that it should have been us. Coming back to play of saying, now, now it's ours. Look at you, Jerusalem. Oh, Judah, you've all fallen. Let, let's go claim what's ours now and participate in this destruction. Mm-hmm. I, I could be stretching a little bit with that and uh, mm-hmm. thinking of it that way, but I, it just seems that that's would make sense too. Yeah, no, I can see you on it, which kind of two things that are brought to mind is one is in the villain episode that we had with Brittany with Haman. Remember how she brought it back to just the historical relations mm-hmm. of like who Haman was and like the family and going back. So when you look at those things of really carrying through and just like, what is it? Bad blood runs deep kind of like, you know, that kind of a thing. But you see it even when you have these two nations split, so they did split, and you can see how that kind of story, like you're saying, is that, hey, that blessing should have belonged to us. Mm -hmm. Because we can see that even when we look at the Arabic nations with Islam, is that a lot where they look at Abraham's sons. So you have Ishmael and Isaac, and for them, they're like, hey, Ishmael is the firstborn son, and they have their whole narrative about that. So I could very easily see that happening with the Edomites of, you know, hey, they were the firstborn son, and we got swindled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it should have belonged. So I, again, I don't think you're stretching it. Again, it doesn't maybe say it there, but it seems like what humans do. It just seems like, too, that a lot of times, even if the narrative of why you dislike somebody isn't there just because you're told to dislike them growing up, mm-hmm. you just dislike them. History. Cue, cue in almost every national thing going on right now. <laughs> yes. <either. laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but yes, cue in all of the things that are happening across the world. But I was thinking like we have a historical one, the Hatfields and the McCoys, mm-hmm. you know, where it was just two families that hated each other. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet was mm-hmm. based off of a story of two families that just hated each other. The real reason why? Lost throughout history but they just didn't like each other enough to where they always want to hurt each other. And it just seems like there's this, this play from the Edomites the same way to me. That's, that's what I looked at when I got through some of the study of it, that that's where they were at. Sorry, I got distracted real quick because when we were talking about that and just like, yeah, being told to, to have that uh, switch foot meant to live popped into my head. Because we want more than this world's got to offer. We want more than the wars of our fathers. Ah, yeah. And that's just kind of, yeah, there's a war of their fathers, and it's been Mm -hmm. going on and going on. Yeah. So that's where who the Edomites are. And and I think I was getting into the Day of the Lord in Obadiah, but I jumped back into the— I think I I jumped us back. jumped us backwards. But it all plays into what's happening here when we get into 15. Verse 15 of (laughs) OB1. There's just no stopping you, is there? no stopping that one. Uh, The Day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head. 
I really like the way your translation reads it. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your recompense will return. Your recompense. That was the one. Because that just sounds like a, that sounds like a hard word. Like, <laughs> the recompense is coming, you know? It's like, man, they're using smart words. This yeah. is bad. <laughs> you know it's bad. Uh, but in here, uh, I look at this day of the Lord. And when I looked into the study of it, that it, you know, now it's bringing into the nations. So it's not just really so much Edom, but it's all the nations will be judged for how they acted and how they, I guess, how they acted. Yeah. Right, so similar to when we were looking at Joel, right? You have the day of the Lord coming in and the nations get involved and it's the Lord of heaven and of earth coming to judge, to set things right. To even how we were talking about last time, hey, God is super forgiving, he's compassionate, but there is the day that when you, you know, you ignore his messengers, like if you're ignoring Joel, if you're ignoring Obadiah and, you know, you have that, his judgment's going to come. Just as Edom had committed crimes against Israel when they just sat there and like watched things happen, then progressively got worse into what was happening. Other nations had cursed Israel. And then you look at it where uh, Genesis 12, 3, it hasn't there where God talks to Abraham, whoever curses you will be cursed. Mm-hmm. So then it's this kind of all these nations. And what I like this commentary, what it wrote, it said they would drink God's wrath as Israel has done in times past. So like just because Israel is now being, it's, it's such a weird word to look at like people being taken over by another nation as punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, it falls into that category of, man, God, that's harsh. But then I kind of always go back to the warnings, the warnings, the warnings. Like, if you follow me, this will happen. But if you don't, this will happen. The mention of the way he talks about it does seem more future tense, right? Like the judgment of nations. What is it? The like eschatological, yeah. like looking into more end times type end things. End times The things that come at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like this day of uh, the Lord is more of that in that it's the, like how we talked about last week, the wiping out of evil that is in the world and setting things right, bringing things back to Eden. Yeah, which is interesting because here, normally when you're looking at these judgments, there's the judgment that's going to be against Israel or against Judah, right? But what we get throughout this book is really looking at Edom and just like, yo, you guys screwed up. Like that was that was some messed up stuff. So judgment is going to come to you. And then you get to the nations, right? For the day of the Lord is near for all the nations. And that's where you see things switch up that the house of Jacob will reclaim their possession. And then verse 18, the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set it ablaze and consume it. Normally you see it the other way is that the nations are going to be judgment against Israel. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. God's going to use that uh, mechanic, right, to, to bring judgment is. But you're seeing this on the flip side here, which I think is kind of unique. Yeah. Uh, among some of the prophetical type things. I was thinking about it as you were saying, like, it seems harsh. But it's one of those things I feel like, well, that's harsh. Why is God doing that? It's like, well, can you come up with a better solution? Like, well, you should just talk to him. It's like, that's what the prophets do, like you just said, Mm -hmm. right? That's what the prophets were for. But then it's just what kind of mechanic, and I'm using that, it might sound a bit detached to call it a mechanic, but how do you affect things on that big of a scale? Like, you know, there's obviously personal repentance and coming before God. But when you get to something on the national level, what's the mechanics at play and Man, nation against nation tends to be just like how that plays out throughout mm-hmm. history. So it's like, yeah, it seems harsh, but also how do you correct a nation that is headstrong and headstrong in wickedness, mm-hmm. right? It's, well, why are you going to be so harsh? It's like, they're in wickedness. I'm putting a stop to it. It seems harsh because it's war and it's nation against nation, but 
again, that's just how things seem to play out. When even when we look at the whole thing behind it, is like Nebuchadnezzar's kind of at times God calls him like my chosen servant. Like this is the guy I raised for this time. Like mm-hmm. he was there to do this and to bring Babylon to take over and and come in and capture Israel. They have Nebuchadnezzar, and then is it King Cyrus is mm-hmm. also referred to as a messiah. Like Mashiach is a term used for Cyrus, and it's like, dude wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't an Israelite, like he was not one of God's people, but the way that he was used, right? It's that, like, kind of we're talking about that wiping out of wrong, mm-hmm. that Israel and Judah were doing so much wrong for such a long time, and over hundreds of hundreds of years of God's long suffering, and what is that, what we talked about, his anger being slow to anger, mm-hmm. right? That was in the book of Joel, that here is just, okay, I was slow to anger, slow to anger. At some point, I have to fulfill what I promised. Because if God doesn't keep his promises, then is he a God we can trust? And he made a promise. If you do this, then I will do this. But if you act this way, then this is what's coming. And it seems to be that that was the day where he just finally had to choose to like drop the hammer in a sense. But I really like how this book ends in the concluding phrase of, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And like, this is just this total claim and victory over evil. And that's really what we're looking at here is that one of the major things that I see so far of what we've covered is that we as people want to choose to define what's good and evil in our eyes without really looking to see how God, how God defines good and evil. And because we choose to define it differently from his word, then it's like, I've got to come in and wash that out. I've got to come and clean it. And this is that final victory over the evil that we've defined. And now it's the kingdoms is God's. And I I really like that. Both the books kind of ended on so far that note of the kingdom is God's or God is with his people. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a way of where you're looking at judgment, harshness, but getting to that final paradigm of here is God with his people. Yeah. So and getting to that final thing, Again, there's all kinds of things that us as the creation want to judge God, the creator, on, hey, you should have done (laughs) that better. Like, well, you should stop evil from happening, or you should get involved sooner or whatever. And what I see throughout Obadiah, when it's leading towards that final thing, right, to where, hey, it's fully God's judgments come in and he set things right, is that we see Obadiah talking about, man, Esau, Edom, back from numbers where we quoted, like, man, you guys wouldn't let him cross through your land. You met him with an army. Like they were saying that they would even pay you for the water. Just like Mm -hmm. let him travel through to this point of gloating and looting from them and stopping people who were fleeing from it and really looking at, man, your actions have consequence. And to the level, again, that God sees these things. And we saw it in Joel to where God will avenge. And I think that it's a really important thing that Obadiah brings out is that God doesn't just sweep things under the rug. Yes, like we looked at uh, in Joel, there's, there can be an opportunity for repentance and for making things right and for forgiveness to come in. But when there's just wickedness towards people, God doesn't forget. And I think from the human perspective, sometimes we can feel like things are unfair or God isn't paying attention because I'm going through this thing. What we see here is like God didn't stop it from happening. God didn't jump in and stop the Edomites from pillaging and, you know, from doing the thing. But his judgment does come through to set things right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, for me as the creation to just trust God in that is that he hears the cries of his people over and over and over again in the scriptures. We know that he has a concern 
for people who are marginalized, for people who are oppressed, for people who are going through things, for people who are being treated poorly and unjustly. And, you know, and he has that. We know that's where God's heart is at. So we should cry out to him and he will do what's right. And I see that that's it here in Obadiah is that he does what's right. I read this in a commentary and I really like this. I thought this was a good way to sum things up is that Obadiah clarifies that this time is not just about judgment. It also describes how God will deliver Israel and fulfill his promise to the nation. Israelites will escape the chaos and have spiritual renewal, Obadiah 17. This will be part of a national restoration where the exiles will return, Obadiah 20. Israel will unite and possess the land that God had promised, and that's Obadiah 19. And then Israel will have dominion over its enemies, and then again you see that in 18 and then 21. Uh, but it does show this, that it's more than just judgment. Like God's promise of judgment on one nation is deliverance for another group of people. Like you were talking about, like there's judgment, but then like, yes, then there's deliverance. And when we look at everything in the big scheme, even the day of the Lord, like it is this judgment of evil and it does seem harsh and it does seem that, but what that really does is it pulls out deliverance for the people who are in need of it. Mm -hmm. And so then we're delivered in to be part of the kingdom. Right, and, and when we talked about Jesus, Jesus' proclamation was the kingdom of God is at hand. Which again, we're going to keep studying through this thing of the day of yeah. the Lord because he showed up with the kingdom and here we said the kingdom will belong to the Lord and the, the ties in on that. I don't really have much else for this study side of it. Mm. There's so much that I want to jump into for next time. I'm just like, man, what can we pull out of this in some different kind of applicable ways? Or I need to come up with a better term than like spiritualizing applicable. it or whatever, <laughs> you know, to just like pull it out yeah. with principles and what whatever. Cause, and looking at Esau, Edom, and I know that I saw it on your notes as just kind of being the flesh, right? Yeah, and that was a really cool thing that I, I found uh, reading through some commentaries about this. Edom or Esau is the flesh and Jacob is the spirit. But mm -hmm. I mean, once you get into Jacob, you see that it's a really crazy situation. But anyways, yeah. yeah, there's so much. I mean, even looking at it, and I guess we'll give just a little trailer for what's up for next week is, you know, we're looking at how do we treat our enemies, people who we consider our enemies? Do we mm -hmm. gloat? Do we boast? You know, uh, there's a lot to pull, like you said, for that applicationable side, that personal side of looking at this book, but to give the history, I think is an important part. The principles don't do justice without the history, without knowing this long rivaled history of Edom and Israel that once we kind of talk about, okay, well, who's your enemies? And Jesus even talks about that, like, who's your enemies? We don't get into really understanding enemies until you see history and centuries of bad blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it for me. Then I guess we're done. I guess we're done. All Until right. next time. Until next time. We are your church friends. I'm Chris. I'm Yurza. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amos.